Hey guys, I'm Jillian Tara, and you're listening to Chasing Fashion. We're in Teresa Foglia's studio today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, so I love your studio. The first time I came here, I was just like, this is amazing. It's like a magical hat shop, which I think is so great. I think on your website, it said something about being like a concept shop. Could you talk a bit about different things you do in here? Yeah, when we first were designing the space out, I wanted it to feel very much like you were kind of walking into my home. And leaving Los Angeles and coming to New York, space was one of those things that I kind of lost here. Oh, for sure. And I wanted it to feel, I didn't want it to feel like a store. Um, personally, I, I mean, I love online shopping, I love in-person shopping, but I think that just the traditional retail environment today is not something that I really want to go into every day and where I want to find things. And so when I, when we were building the space out with Industry City, I really wanted to have a really warm and welcoming environment. So we designed the space to have very much a feel of walking into someone's home and it was a very comfortable environment. When people okay. come in here, they rarely just walk in and walk right out. They're here yeah. for a while, they hang out for a while. We do production around you know two to five days a week depending on the demand. And then the other days I'm in here working on all the other business aspects. On Saturday, we're open as a retail store every day but on Saturday and Sundays when Industry City has a lot of walkthrough traffic, we really mm -hmm. function as a retail store. Okay. Um, we curate events around once a week to a couple times a month, depending on what my personal schedule is and what's going on with the studio. We've done everything from sound baths to charity functions to yoga classes to entrepreneurial oh, events, so talks, panels. So the space is really used for whatever it's kind of called to do at that time. Okay. When people end up having events with you, are they like your friends and other people in the community that you pull in or is it clients who are like, I love the space, let's do something? We've had companies come to us and just ask us to do hat making workshops and they okay. come and they'll sit for an hour and a half and we'll walk them through the entire process from start to finish of how a hat would be made. And then, yeah, we have friends that want to throw charity events and don't want to do it in their apartments. And we have people that, you know, have incredible talents that I just say, we should do something together. We have this space. Yeah. Industry City is also really great that they're doing a ton of curation of different events as well. So I kind of run off of those themes. So, for example, Thanksgiving's coming up. It's Small Business Saturday. I'm bringing in around seven or eight different women's brands. We're expanding the space outside of just my storefront into innovation alley as well and we'll okay. have all these different brands come and do a pop-up shop for that entire week that we're here and then we'll probably That's curate awesome. some different panels and things during the week yeah i love that i think prior to making hats i know you did a lot of like um digital media and marketing and all of that stuff and i think i saw you were on a bunch of panels prior for that as well so you're very much used to throwing events and being a part of all of that Absolutely. I mean, I think for um, as long as I can remember when I was like 14, I was always events chair, social chair, doing something, always planning something. I love planning. I actually think production is kind of what makes this whole thing operate from actual apparel production to events mm -hmm. to just 
day-to-day things that have to happen here. Yeah, so it's pretty, the social media and the digital marketing background comes in handy in all different facets from curating the Instagram feed that we do all here and you know producing all of our own photo shoots, doing a lot of our own art direction, and just really using our group of friends and their talents to really bring it all to life. Well, it's great that you guys, you pull your friends in and it's so collaborative. That's how much of like the young industry is these days, you know? That's the whole point of the podcast too. It's a network of creatives, like we all do different things and we all overlap in different ways. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really cool. I mean, the space is amazing. And the one thing that I really love is that the production really is at the forefront of the shop. Like a customer could come in and see that literally everything is made here you can see the skins (laughs) the open studio concept it's a dream really just to be able to also it's such an old craft and Mm -hmm. there's so few people that do it anymore especially women it's there's so few of us you know there's a lot of hat makers that are men there's a lot of milliners that are women and a milliner can be anyone that collects sells designs makes hats um, and even owns a hat shop can be considered a milliner but hatters are people that actually make the type of hats that we make they use felts they use wool fur felts um, they actually block it with steam and they go through the entire process which I think we'll get into a little bit later but there's so few women that actually block hats so there's tons of New York hat makers and there's tons of female hat makers throughout the country there's very few of them that actually have blocking and physical making in their studios. So a lot of people outsource their blocking to a lot of old hat manufacturers. And they can still be hand blocked and there's there's nothing wrong with that. We just choose to do everything here. Um, We have full control of everything we're doing. That's an amazing distinction. I mean, I'm really glad that you said that because I, for one, had no idea honestly like neither did I the term like Mm -hmm. interchangeably like it means everything yeah so there I know there are a bunch of other designers in Brooklyn who are making hats and like I said one reason I was really drawn to you is because of the whole studio you can really see that you're making everything and uh, I guess other designers really are just anyone outsourcing it to like the garment district or like hatters there's incredible hat makers in new york city Mm -hmm. um there's so many studios from people in harlem to the lower east side to bushwick to williamsburg there's a ton of people there's also a lot of old small batch hat makers that are still doing the private label for a lot of hat Mm. brands that okay you would see somewhere and think that it may be the same thing that we're doing here but they're not um so sometimes people come in and they're wow, you're blocking this hat. And I'm thinking, yes, I've been blocking this hat for an hour and a half, but someone who also will make hats in my studio with me, um, who's been making hats forever, and it's a bigger guy, he can mm-hmm. maybe do it in 20 minutes to my hour and a half oh because the type of manpower and physical strength that it takes to make and that block some of these hats is actually, you need well, a lot of endurance for it. too. It's not like it's like linen or yeah and it's different types of felts that you're using too so one thing that we really love to use at our studio is we love these western grade like really heavy felts and Mm -hmm. they come and they're very stiff and so in order to work with them you're sticking them on a steamer for at least you know 20 minutes to loosen up all the fibers to give it flexibility to be able to move and adjust it but as soon as that steam is gone from it, it stiffens up right away. And so you're kind of in this mad fight with oh this God. spell for a little bit while you're blocking it out. Um, 
And those are the types of things that when we started making straw hats for the first time, I thought to myself, I'm never going back to making felt hats again. It's so much easier to work with straw and it's so much easier to um, just as a material to work with. But there's really nothing more luxurious to me than a really beautiful and really nicely made felt hat too, in terms of hats. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I mean, you can really see the quality on a good felt hat as Absolutely. Well. Unfortunately, not to everyone. If you're in accessories like you and I are and, mm-hmm. and we value those types of things and it's something that we're, you know, we like and we're interested in, it's so obvious to me. But that's actually one thing that we've had a challenge from from a marketing standpoint is kind of almost in a way having the justification of our pricing and people looking at it, well, why would I pay, mm-hmm. you know, $1,200 for a hat? And... Well, first off, there's there's the retail market in today's environment, and so many people from a consumer standpoint that are just buying things don't realize what the retail markup is of things oh, is on completely. is on. And I find it so interesting that people aren't having this conversation more of how big retailers we can have it because <laughs> I'm having it with my friends all the time. It's so frustrating. Yeah, it, and it's crazy. And and as a maker and as a brand what your margins are on your product um, it's really hard to justify that price when you actually I mean I I look at my hats as not just a consumer good I look at our hats very much as art and so for me there's value in that alone the the concept of them the time that goes into them just the the visual aspect of them which is what most people just see they don't see everything that goes below it Um, just the handcraft exactly I mean that in itself it's like I always think of, um, I think it was like during medieval times or something, women who made clothes for royalty would like stitch their hair into the garments, like everything that was made by hands. And it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Handcraft, everything has a story, mm-hmm. like people's hands are touching this. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it's sad that the consumer isn't quite as connected. Like fast fashion, everything is so cheap and quick. And, you know, everyone just wants new stuff for Instagram that they can throw away. And it's what all the retailers are paying for to to hand out to people to do. I know. It's crazy. But honestly, I really do feel like, you know, I I don't know if it was a year ago or two, Vogue had with the Met, um, the Manus vs. Machina uh, exhibition. I believe I read somewhere that Anna Winter said she really wanted to do that to bring more of an awareness to like the craft and justify the price point so people could be up close and personal with all this luxury handcraft garments and accessories and stuff like that. So as much as it seems at times that that is not where the market's going, I feel like there's a very slow movement where people are getting tired of fast fashion. And I mean, I think that when we look at the numbers, H&M is about to have their biggest year that they've ever had. And they continue to go on interviews about their focus on sustainability, but there's a lot of gray area. So I don't know if you've seen the film, The True Cost on Netflix. Yes. So good. Um, And it wasn't until I really was having even interns in my studio who were working at bigger fashion brands because I don't have a background in fashion. My background's in digital. And I would work with fashion brands, but I wasn't in-house to know that oh, when we move offices, we're actually going to burn hundreds of tons of fabric because we don't want anyone to find it. That killed me, you know, and just the waste that goes into it. And when I started watching this film, The True Cost, I I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. The, from, 
how cheap labor is to the excuses that are used for why people do this. Um, but I do think that we are, we live in a place in where I, you know, I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles and now we're in New York where mm-hmm. we're just woke, you know, and we're, we're in, a, in an environment where people are just really want to know what's going on and what, what are we doing and what are our actions actually doing to the, in the decisions we're making, how is it having an effect on everything around us? And mm-hmm. I think we're, it's a luxury for us and, and to buy something, you know, that is handmade and artisanal, it is a luxury. So where I think luxury is going in the retail environment is I think things are handmade. And I was just at a panel the other day and Gretchen Jones was saying the same thing. I asked the panel, what is luxury in 2018 and where is it going? Is it labels? Is it, is it mass production? What is it? And they mm-hmm. said it is small and it is, it is more unique and it is customized. And that made me feel so good because I think that's what we're trying to do here. Of course. So I think that, you know, in our own niche of what we're trying to do, we're lucky that that market is expanding. But I think that there's no denying that what you were just talking about of the fast fashions of the world to just wear another outfit and change another pair of shoes. That the reality is, is that no one's stopping them because the people that are in the control of buy more, buy more, produce more, produce more, bigger paychecks, bigger paychecks. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality of how money makes the world go around. Yeah. And I think the biggest problem also is the sustainability aspect of things, like H&M saying they have the H&M conscious line or whatever. Exactly. It's all marketing. (laughs) Like, literally. Yeah, so, well, you're touching on, you know, how you do recyclable materials and all that stuff a little bit, but I know you're really focused on sustainability overall, and, like, obviously because you're doing small batches, like, you're really focused on that, but... Are there any other ways that you'd like to touch on? Um, I think a big thing for us is that we try to be a zero waste facility. And so I have a small recycling bin and I try to limit that to emptying that about once a week. Um, We don't throw out any of our materials. So you'll see big piles of leather here. You'll see big piles of scraps of silks here. We don't throw anything out. We donate it to everywhere, to anywhere that like needs it really. Do you do fab scrap? No, I don't. Have you heard of that? I heard. It's right here, actually. I think it's oh right God, it here. Um, like a couple doors down, they might do one. You know what? Actually, I knew it was down in this part of Brooklyn, and for some reason, I never thought it was an industry city. I don't know That's if it's so technically funny. industry city where it is, but I know that it's right around the corner here. Okay. Um, no, I've never done it. Honestly, we haven't had to invest that much in silks and materials that they would have there because mm. we use a lot of things that I've collected in my travels, and friends, brands that have extra silks and materials that they can't use in their own clothing, they'll okay. come and bring them here as well. Um, oh, that's amazing. So we use a lot of vintage silks um, for all the liners on our hats. Okay. And then all the, all the materials that are left over, we mostly donate to NJIT, where a couple of our interns are students, um, New Jersey Institute of Technology. Um, huh. And we also, an incredible asset to our team is that we have our th- this is now our fourth intern. Well, they have, I've had four interns from NJIT and they're all industrial design interns. Oh, great. And so sustainability is something that's very much at their focus, uh, when their focus as well. And you know, when one of my interns first started last December, it was one of the first things I said to her, how do I make my studio more green? And we got rid of all the plastic that we were using. So from like bags to packaging to um, even our garbage bags. So. 
industrial design majors, they just have such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to sustainability. So outside of that, um, I feel like, you know, by not, we don't make more than what's needed. So everything's made to measure. We don't hold sales. We don't have extra inventory. So when someone writes me and says, hey, can you gift this hat to someone? She's a size small. I'm like, yeah, I can get it to you in like three weeks. And they ask me why. And I say, well, I have to make it for them. I don't have inventory sitting here. And so a lot of also a lot of people come in and they're like well what about this in a different size i'm like no we can make it but we don't have it so yeah you know everything is made to measure and uh, mostly custom because when people come in here and they realize that we do custom hats they don't even really at that point there that's all they're fixated on is like creating their custom experience yeah i think it's not just hat makers being conscious i actually think hat making doesn't have any type of like very massive large footprint especially if you're using wools and furs and belts most people aren't just wearing a hat once and throwing it out most people are investing in like one staple piece and like having it forever and i think that's what's really special for us um i think it's just the bigger brands and how a lot of the people that are running the companies and sitting on the boards from anything from you know um being interviewed on podcasts to being interviewed in in any type of capacity um, they're looked at as role models and I'm often thinking from a celebrity standpoint they are but how are they using their platform to mm-hmm. make a difference in what's actually going on here yeah I feel like it's always you know you're in such a great position because it's the smaller guy who's so much more nimble who's able to actually make a difference like the people who oftentimes have massive platforms because they're like with such big companies or whatever. So it's all they need so to much. produce is they're here to just produce, produce, produce margins, mm-hmm. it's all numbers, the numbers, sales, some number of sales. And, you know, when I think of our company and like how I want it to grow, I, I do want it to, you know, be to that point where mm-hmm. we are growing and like numbers are very important, but I don't want us to also lose at our forefront of the environmental impact of what we're doing has on mm-hmm. the world. And that can be anything from, us taking our plates to get our lunch in the afternoon to you know using our recyclable cups when we get coffee next door um to choosing to eat less meat during the week or choosing what fabrics we're using and just being yeah. conscious about it and i love locally sourcing my materials i love knowing the individual communities where the furs are being made i love to know where the individual um, communities where the straw is being grown and made and hand woven oh that's so and supporting great. those communities are really important you know mm-hmm. and fair trade is beyond fair trade to me I want to know exactly where it's happening and when I was first starting I felt limited I was like oh I can only get materials from here and here then I just you know because of quantities and stuff like that because of quantities and also because there's so few hat makers left and we're at a time where hat making is coming back again so okay. most things were scaled down and you know there used to be a large hat manufacturer in New York and they're not even here anymore you know like there's not even a hat factory in New York City anymore which oh, is crazy wow. because so at sad. one point there were hundreds of them yeah I mean the whole garment district exactly so now that suppliers have toned down suppliers have a huge um advantage because they you know they have the market on Mm. on lock pretty much and so you're kind of sitting there knocking on the door asking questions they're like we don't need your questions like we have another hat maker we can sell to now you know um that's so but if you travel places and you show up places you knock on people's doors yeah you actually will find out a lot of information and when you align yourself with different organizations like for example last week i went to a dinner um with nest Mm. and it was all 
women own and operated companies and or fashion brands that were there and we all do ethical fashion and we all do oh, sustainable awesome. fashion it was amazing um it was put on by this um group um and clothing company called where mountains meet and it was sponsored or it was an event that we were sponsoring and raising money for nest and nest works with artisanal communities and they're all about bringing back the handcraft that's amazing and so there i sat next to a gentleman um and his company is out of um, Colombia and he is responsible for helping all these artisan communities have really good lives really nice jobs and be able to practice their craft and not only their craft but expand it to other er areas so they'll work with West Elm to create their entire artisanal program so oh, it's not okay. just a marketing program for them they're actually working with people in these communities and you know that they're actually living a, fit, a good life yeah. um, and it's not just a big corporation being able to you know market that they're doing that exactly <laughs> I definitely have faith in West Elm but like some of the pillows you can you can just tell there's a certain like handwriting that you know is um, coming from these artisans absolutely when you first started out um, and you were like knocking on the doors locally trying to find suppliers and all of that stuff did you really just start traveling and that's how you kind of got off the ground for someone who's first starting out i'm just curious how the whole process works so did you look up places in like south america just like go there and like make meetings or well first off i didn't even know what materials to use okay. it was i actually was using the wrong materials for almost my first four months in business and i was oh, doing okay. a technique to them that i thought was improving them but actually i realized that i could just buy a totally different material to achieve what i wanted to so I like my brims really stiff okay. and I don't like floppy brims and I was Same. buying <laughs> I was buying a type of felt that's soft and wobbly and floppy and it made okay. no sense I needed to buy a different grade of felt and I had no idea and I would go into my supplier every week in um, in the city and I would buy these things and I would say this the stuff that you're giving me to more rigid and firm it's not working it wasn't until one day that I saw another felt in store that I was like wait what is this like this is exactly what I want like how did I not know this so how did they not tell you oh uh, yeah yeah like we were talking <laughs> about like supplier like supply and demand you know they don't really need to sit and educate me like yeah we're supposed to be hat makers and we know what we're doing yes yeah, exactly. as I was saying like hat making is not the type of thing that you can sit at home and google it is a science experiment in here okay. every day and you really? can look at my sink it's completely <laughs> still clogged from one of our first science experiments in the studio um and every day i'm learning something new and the people that come in here and work and make hats with me as well mm -hmm. are some of the you know oldest hat makers in new york city and they are huge that's great and huge in terms of education and where to get things they'll be like oh like call that guy that's outside of pennsylvania like he doesn't have a website anymore but like let me grab his number for you out of my cell phone oh my god there's like, no way what? you would ever have that you would never have that you opened the studio last december like you said so is that when you really kind of plunged into this a hundred percent so that's okay because i know you had learned how to make hats you took a course in europe Exactly. And then it seems like you dabbled a little bit. And I know you traveled a lot, but this was the point that you really like dove into the business. Yeah, it was two years ago last month that I learned how to make hats. And 
I wasn't planning on changing my digital career. I had a really successful agency and I still run the agency and we still work with brands and I still absolutely love it. So you're um, still running that? Yes. Okay, amazing. Okay, exactly. I, that's one thing that I wasn't sure if like it fizzled out or if you were doing freelance on the side. I still do, yeah. Like I still run the agency. Okay. It's still like that's technically amazing. set up as an agency. I would say that really in my time it's freelance, you know, and okay. I have a lot of clients um, that I'll pick up consulting projects for, strategy projects for, um, that's not retainer type of work because I used to be like retainer from okay. a lot of brands and that's just what that's fueled amazing. the entire operation. And then when I moved to Europe, um, I really downsized it. Um, my okay. business partner went back to work full time at a bigger brand um, and we really started shifting our focus towards just smaller projects. I okay. mean, there was one point where I couldn't even have a conversation because I was on my phone that much that there was no, like I wasn't a human. I was basically like a robot, like running social media platforms. Oh and my God. we had, you know, 20 brands with seven social platforms each. And you're just literally tweeting and That's pinning crazy. and Instagramming and Facebook messaging all day. And you're oh just God. like, this is nuts. When I'm know? on social for like too long, I feel like. The anxiety is real. Yes. It is actually real. Oh yeah. my God. But I bet it's like really great for you that you have that background and being able to, like you were saying earlier, being able to control your social media platform. Like, yeah, I mean, I wish that I did have the capacity right now just to bring someone in to just be like, here's my 80,000 photos in mm -hmm. my phone, like Lightroom, edit them, write yeah. the copy, like create the magazine look of my Instagram. And I really need to take a focus to like actually do that and start to grow out the account. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really, the operation or I mean, you know, the, the store was really the coming out point of the hats. Um, okay. I had learned how to make them and I had fun with it and I was I was making maybe a hat every now and then in Bushwick and then I was working at a studio in Tribeca and I actually got kicked out of my studio in Tribeca. So I was making hats. Wait, do you mean like a creative studio? I like there was a, there was a woman, spaces? Yeah, so I had an ad up essentially on Craigslist that said that I was looking for a studio and that I was a hat maker okay. and like if anyone knew of a space to let me know. And a woman reached out to me and said, I've been making hats for 20 years, but I've been, I've now like changed my career around. I just left my job. So I'm back at home making hats. If you want to make hats in my studio in Tribeca, you can come and make your hats here. This is how much That's is amazing. an hour. And if you need help or anything, like I'm happy to help you too. This is my rate. I was like, okay, cool. So I started making hats in her studio. But That's great with all like the supplies too. Yeah, she had blocks and um, I would bring in a lot of my own materials that I need to use. Um, okay. And it was great. I had so much fun and she was so lovely. But I use a, a, a technique in my hat making. It's called pouncing. And it's when you sand the hats and it causes a lot of dust and a lot of, okay. you know, things to be flying around in the air. And it was too much for her health that and it was off of, also the studio was off of her home and so I was sense. asked to not make to sand hats in her um, studio anymore she said well you can go outside and sand I'm like oh my god we're on a third floor walk up in Tribeca on Canal Street like I'm not going oh, downstairs no. to sand my hat so you know I kind of packed up at the end of the afternoon and I took my stuff and I called my friend and said I just don't think uh, why is every thing that I'm trying to pursue right now not working out and I'm only a few months back in New York after being gone for 12 years I'm missing LA like crazy but I didn't feel like I could go back in LA because I was still so heartbroken and yeah. 
I was like, why is this not working? And then a friend basically wrote me and said, you should check out this place called Camp David. Um, and I was like, oh, it's so funny. They Camp David is a co-working space that has a maker studio downstairs. And it's kind of this gorgeous, beautifully well done um, co-working space that's in building three of Industry City. Okay. And it started and founded by the owners of Milk Studios. And I had read this on their website. And I oh. love Milk Studios. And I worked with them in the past during my time in LA. So I knew that they under, understood I thought, okay, if, if this is owned by Milk Studios, it must be a really nice space. So I um, had gone over to another woodworking workshop nearby. I went to Camp David and I met the owner of Camp David and he said, I have a much bigger opportunity for you and I have a much bigger vision for you than making hats in my basement. Come and see me tomorrow. And I kind, oh my of, God. I kind of told him, like, yeah, just send me how much it is and let me know. Like, I'm not coming back tomorrow. Like, what is this place? And That's amazing. And he was like, no, 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 come back tomorrow. So I came back tomorrow. And he was like, this is Industry City. Like, this is, this is where you need to be. And we need to open this open studio maker studio. And I want you to put together a mood board. And I want you to, you know, really visualize what the space would look like. And I thought, okay, this is... To me, to me, it was crazy because I had never, I, hats was not what I was doing. I wasn't making yeah. a living off of hats. Like I would make hats every now and then. It was totally my passion project. It was something just for fun. It was. So at that point you weren't even like, I'm doing this. You were no, just like. No, not at oh. all. I told him no. Oh my God. I told him crazy. no. I said, I said, this is crazy. I live out of my suitcase, my carry on nine months out of the month. Like I don't even own more things than this. Like I was, had a house in LA at the time. My car's still okay. there. I'm like, I'm not opening a retail store like this is crazy and so I called one of my best friends Pat and he said you're doing it and I said no I'm not you're crazy like why that's would, a good friend <laughs> why would I do this he said no like you're you're doing this and I said they want me to be there this many days a week and they want me to be have business hours I said this is nuts he said you're doing it and I said okay I'm fine I'll do it um so I yeah, the, the, uh, and then I didn't know if they wanted to do it with me. So then you sat down the other side and you're waiting for oh, them to approve you. That's and, right. You know, so I really fought hard to, in the end to really get the space. Mm -hmm. And um, I have an amazing relationship with Industry City. I can't say better things about this place. That's great. Um, yeah, so that's how it kind of started. We met like right before I went to Burning Man and then... I got approved for the space in October. We started build out in November and then we opened December 8th. I mean, there was oh nothing gosh. in here when we started. I actually had to take old vintage hats of mine that I had been collecting and put them on the hat wall and stuff because I didn't even have enough inventory in the space and I just wanted to open. Yeah. I just thought there's no point in like waiting for this place to be perfect. Oh, I mean, course. nothing was Nothing's in here. Ever I mean, gonna be perfect. none of this was here. None of these were here. I wow. mean, I look back at photos and I'm like, wow, we opened and we didn't even have like, Howler hardly had furniture in here, oh you my know? God, and, that's amazing. Um, so it really, I was just like, let's just do it. What am I going to wait for? You know, like it's never yeah. going to be perfect. I don't even, I've never worked in retail. I don't even know what perfect is. Um, and we just, you know, it's kind of been like buying your first home. You just do little additions here and there and things start to find their space and I love that yeah yeah it's really I mean you know obviously I didn't see it when it first opened but like it's really got a lot going on <laughs> it looks great um so at that point you weren't even thinking like oh my god this is like everything I've ever wanted you kind of just fell into it and so now a year later you're starting to scale the business and take it more seriously which is amazing 
you have all these employees, even if they're part-time. <laughs> I don't know, but that's still great. Um, so how are you trying to evolve the business? Obviously, I know you want to hang on to your sustainable roots. Um, what does your vision look like, basically, for the future? It's a lot of education and a lot of learning and seeing what the market wants. You know, I think there's this there's this place in the market for a really high art artisan pro- product, you know, where mm-hmm. there's so much of an art piece that your hat is. And then I think there's people that want to wear a simple hat at a great price point that is you know sustainably made and a really nice material um so i think we're trying to not be too much for everyone but kind of find where that sweet point is um and it's you know one being even in like a a higher placement of where we see very special pieces that we spend an entire week on and that's an art piece and it's something that's really close to our heart that we love to create for someone really special and there's our ready to wear line that's more accessible to people um, something that someone believes in as us as a brand and they want to support our our studio as well um, I really want to see us expand internationally I really love the idea of having a bigger presence in Europe I think that's kind of well you're basically a European (laughs) that's one of our you know one of our definite um you know bigger goals is you know to have more of a presence in Europe um and also have more of an Asian presence as well um working right now with retailers in Tokyo and Hong Kong so we really that we definitely want to have an expansion there um and from a direct-to-consumer standpoint, we really want to scale our online business. Um, right now, our online business makes the barrier a little bit harder for someone to buy online. You know, we have a kind of a no-return return policy mm-hmm. unless something like truly just does not fit you. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's small batch, so everything's handmade after you place the order and bespoke. So you're waiting two to three weeks for your hat. Um, there's not too much customization that can be done on the website so that's definitely a big focus of mine is to put more of a emphasis on you know being able to essentially like upload your photo and see what a hat looks like and be able to adjust color waves Um, but I built the website myself you know last summer and it was just like okay we got to make something because we're going to be great. in this press piece and you know so and so needs your website to be live if we're going to publish this so we put the website up and like took the product shots and just built it on a Shopify site and it's been great you know it's a great site but you know I think just having a clear vision on um the business in general I mean like I was telling you earlier you know we we opened and we didn't even know what the margins or how to forecast things necessarily because we weren't making at the volume or scale to even know what our overhead was or mm-hmm. how long production was going to take or what the difference was going to be between the fall season and the spring season. So after a year, I'm like, okay, so this is what it's going to be like, you know, and it's been just like a huge learning experience the entire time. So, I mean, personally, I I love the store and the studio, but I don't okay. see us expanding into more... Like a lot of shops like this. Yeah, no, I think... Um, Retail's changing a lot right now where, you know, retailers, beyond the big retailers, retailers aren't, smaller retailers aren't even, in New York at least, 
really even buying wholesale anymore. Retailers are now doing the whole shop and shop experience where you now rent it's, space. Yeah, I was going to say it's like renting space, right? Like exactly. a rent for the designer, essentially. Exactly. So um, you have a retail store and someone goes in and buys it and they say, okay, these are the types of brands that I want to get in here. Do they want to be in my curated environment? Y um, you will pay a retainer to them monthly and maybe a commission of sales to be in their store. So you're so experiencing that a lot with like even boutiques. Like is a it lot really of common? Really? A lot of boutiques. Because I've definitely heard of the whole shop and shop thing. Like a lot obviously Absolutely. I'm sure many people have but I when I hear that I think of like in Bergdorf Goodman's mm -hmm. or like Bloomingdale's mm -hmm. not in a little boutique this is boutique that's crazy yeah this is boutiques and I didn't even know what it was until I started having retail stores reach out to me and they would say we'd love to have your hats and I'd say wow great like let me know what you're thinking and, and you're like, like you have to pay me yeah, this much. like it's this much a month to be here I'm like wow this is how it works now I didn't even know that <laughs> you know oh and my god I started asking other brands about it and they said yeah we you can kind of buy your way into retail stores now so you're not necessarily really? having to wait for a wholesale order or fulfilling anything you kind of have these more b2c showrooms in a way interesting um, I feel like I don't know on one hand I'm like that's great because it like democratizes the whole thing like you could get your stuff out there so much more easily but then on the other hand it's like that's tough for a young designer to have to pay for that and then what if no one buys their stuff I don't know it's like weird I have mixed feelings about it I have total mixed feelings about the whole thing I'm really curious about your actual process of making hats ah. like one the creative process and what goes into it because I'm sure there are a lot of people who are listening who have no idea what goes into making a hat. You can touch on the lighting of the, <laughs> the hat on fire, fire, which I've seen all over Instagram, which I think is amazing. Um, yeah, so give me the lowdown on what goes into this. Okay, so um, our hats come in felted already and the straw is sewn before they get here. So it depends. Every hat has a different number of steps that goes into it. So okay. if someone says to me, I need a hat today, we can make it um, in one day. But there's also, it's oftentimes like cooking and looking at a recipe cook time. It's like this much time hands on, but this time total cook time because there's a okay. lot of cooking in the oven or on the stove involved. Um, so it starts with the the custom process starts with the measuring of the head, um, just, just you know figuring out what exact head size it is, and we use an, a, something here called a conformer. Um, and the vintage ones are called conformators, um, oh. and it's this really cool device that you put over your head and you twirl it in and get the exact head measurement of your of your head size. So you're putting it on someone's actual head and exactly. then tightening it up. Exactly. Oh, cool. So this is a new one. It's not one of the old vintage ones, but you essentially would put it on someone's head to where they want to okay. wear the hat. So you'd either wear it like some people like to wear their hats down here, some yeah. people like to wear their heads down hats down here. Okay. And then these little screws kind of come in. Oh, and then once so you take crazy. it off, you sketch out the design of the hat and then okay. you get um, these little discs that are actually the size of your head so then we use those discs to mold the felt then we start with the raw body of the hat okay. then we do the hat blocking and now the hat blocking is is that stretching like the fabric around the shape to make it work exactly like, to make it fit? exactly okay. so it involves a lot of steam um, okay and what we'll do is we'll put the felt kind of like right over the steamer. We'll allow it some time to heat up and all the hairs to be able to stretch really nice. Um, and then we'll take that felt and we'll put it over the block. 
and once it's over the block, we'll stretch it out to the height that we want the crown, the top. Okay. And then we'll stretch out the bottom, the brim, to the length that we want the brim. And I So it's all one piece. It's all one piece. Wow, that's amazing that you are able to it's kind of what defines it's a so couture malleable. hat as well. Most couture hats are defined as two separate pieces. So you'll see in the back here we have a top hat. Oh yeah, the pink one. Oh, that's so cute. So this would be considered a couture hat um, because it's two separate pieces, um, but it doesn't really, this is from blocking, but this will all be cut off at the end of it. So you'll end up with just, this will be the brim and this gets cut oh. off. Um, but yeah, so after it's blocked, I typically like to leave it overnight. But if okay. I get in the morning and I block a hat at 8 a.m. and I'm still here at 6 p.m., then okay. I can go to the next step. And the next step is pouncing and sanding the hat. Okay. So pouncing is a term for sanding. And I just use a good old industrial sander here. Like an electric one? Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. And um, there's a very specific grade of sandpaper that you need to use when making hats. Then afterwards, we um, after all the hats are sanded, that's usually when we'll light them on fire. We also will. Do like, you always light them on fire? No, okay. we don't always light them on fire. But I imagine um, it's only the felt hats. We light the straw like, hats on fire. You do? Yeah. Really? I see. I wasn't sure if that thing would just like torch. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it can. I can show you some examples of it. Um, oh my god! But lighting the hat on fire tightens all the fibers in the hat. Um, so okay. for us, it makes it, there's stiffening treatment that's in it, so it makes it all really stiff. Um, I love the distressed look. It's, it, you know, I, I think there's a fine line of like overly distressed. I'm kind of like, I just would have bought a super old vintage hat if I wanted to look that distressed. But I'm very much a minimalist in my hat designs compared to a lot of what hats could be. Um, so we light all the hats on fire. Then we use upcycled silks for the inside of the hats. Not every silk is upcycled, but a lot of the hats that we use in here are from my time that I was living in London. And every hat is completely different. People come in and they get their hat made. Everyone gets a different lining of whatever they want to have in their hat. Um, That's so fun. And then once those are hand sewn in, um, we'll use either grow green or leather for the interior sweatband. Okay. Um, we either do a, a tan sweatband or we do a black sweatband usually, or if you want to, um, do another color we don't really recommend it because they're Does you it risk exactly you risk like having it bleed onto your head and then because we hand shape so many of them a lot of times we open crown block them which means we use just like a round dome style block okay and then we hand shape how okay. the shape is going to look and how the crown is going to look up top um so that's hand shape as opposed to some of them have way more of a block type of shape so like the shaping of this all just takes place when it's steamed yeah and then as the steam goes away it just hardens up exactly that's amazing okay. so if you ever have a hat and you go out in a rainstorm and you're wearing a fur felt hat as long as it's not wool um you can really just kind of put a steamer to it and reshape it to how you want it to be oh, wow. Um, at least a good hat, you know, mm -hmm. like it, it, it definitely takes a good hat. A lot of people come in and we repair a lot of hats, but if someone brings us a hat oh, really? that we can tell is a really bad quality, we're probably not going to be able to do much to it. But if it's yeah. a nice fur, then we can probably like remake it into any hat that you want it to be. Oh, wow. So millinery or like hat making, hats in general have become so big lately in fashion. Like this past year with Jacquemus, I don't, I never know if I'm saying it right. <laughs> 
Um, you know that massive floppy hat? Of course. Which, by the way, I saw someone wearing in Paris, walking down the street just so casually. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. But this, it was like fashion market week. The best places week. people are wearing them, yes. But I was just like... I think they're absolutely fabulous. I think that anything that anyone can get away for, I stand for 100%. Love when people are outrageous and what they oh wear and do. Oh my god, it's me too. But I was totally in awe of this woman walking down the street, just so Hell casually. Yeah. I love Giacomos. Like he's one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram, and I just like he's so cute. He's like I his stories him. make no sense to me. Like they're just like the way that he like zooms in on things and just like says things. Like I mean, no, it makes no sense to me. Like he's writing in French, so like I don't oh, speak totally. French. That's what I mean. Um, I just love his just like attitude i just uh, yeah, think he's I fa- fabulous and fantastic and i just yeah i want to be friends with him you know i think anyone that's putting hats on the map again is so cool i, I think hats are such a special part of anyone's look and feel and i love how they can transform a person and really it's crazy you know i i hate when i see or it's sad to me when i see people come in and they become deflated by how they look in them because they don't have you know they're not used to seeing themselves in it and oh. you can see just like the self-confidence drop but i love when someone feels good about how they look in it how it just makes an entire look yeah. and it changes everything and i love the historical aspect of hats that hats have been around for so much longer than any type of fashion statement or meaning and how it's been involved in so many different things from hierarchies to religions to just you know function to every every different aspect of like what you could think of of something you put on your body and there's something really fun about it and a lot of people do ask me like what do you think about this designer I'm like look I support all designers I love it they might not be my favorite work but my work's probably not their favorite work and it's like a songwriter a movie or a poet or anything really it's kind of everyone's gonna have their opinion on it it's kind of what you like so yeah oh my god you have the best attitude about this I love (laughs) it okay can you tell me if there are any songs that you usually listen to that really inspire you so music is such a huge part of my life and I go to at least two shows a week in New York and I love music and music has always like I, I just love live music in particular but you know, some days we listen to like straight blues. So today we listen to BB King radio all day today in the studio. Oh my God, I love that. If I'm here, I'm probably listening to some type of like indie feel good type of playlist. I love jazz. Um, jazz I love That's been my like, favorite some, like coffee house jazz is like really, really puts me in a good place. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I also like love super dancey stuff like Rufus Del Sol and Bob Moses and I love Gold Cap and yeah I love singer songwriter type of stuff um I'm like all across the board I just don't listen to country music thank you so much for doing this this has been amazing thanks for having me